Also, um, potluck is next Sunday. And one more announcement. I guess they did some work out here on the main line for the water. And they said, do not drink the water, the tap water. So I have a sign in there in the kitchen, do not drink unsafe. Uh, they have to test it again to make sure it's safe for us. I don't want anybody getting sick, even though Jesus can heal you. I still don't, don't want anybody in here getting sick, right, from drinking tap water. Uh, not suitable for drinking. They said if we do drink, it has to be uh, boiled. Now, there is water just outside there. Uh, you can drink that. That's, that's bottled water. So we do have water if you want to drink it. So let's turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And we are uh, going to go through the whole chapter. I titled uh, this message, Entering into God's Rest. Um, and we'll see why as we go through chapter 4. Israel did not enter into God's rest because of their disobedience and lack of faith. Their impatience uh, and their lack of faith caused them to miss a blessing. More important, the greatest blessing was entering into God's rest. So that's going to be the main topic today is what, what is God's rest all about? What does this writer mean when he's talking about God's rest? So let's go ahead and start first verse, and I'm going to read through the whole chapter, and then we'll go back and break it down. Um, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them, that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore, it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was not first preached entered not because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, they would have not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest, he also had ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into his rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. Verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. It's interesting, the first part of verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, there's a promise to those who are faithful uh, would enter into a time of rest. And we know that in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says to us, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus will give us rest if we put our trust in him. When he says, take my yoke upon you, this is interesting. He's talking about walking with us and giving us rest. What's he giving us rest for? Jesus in the midst of all the chaos that there is in the world, in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of all, all of the nonsense that we see on the news, and less and less do I watch the news because more and more uh, I can find myself getting uh, discouraged and, and depressed. But I try to put my, uh, my focus and my eyes on the Lord so that I may not be consumed with anxiety, fear, and worry right now but more importantly when Jesus says take my yoke upon you see when they used to take um, animals to plow a field the two animals would be yoked together and they would be harnessed together and they would plow a field so Jesus is saying you know take my yoke upon upon you in other words he is with you he's walking with you through this world through these troubles through these times and when we walk through times of trouble, times of distress, um, the world seems crazy to us, does it not? Russia invading Ukraine, China wanting to take over Taiwan, the United States uh, trying to figure out what it should do, and the world trying to figure out what it should do. The effect on the world because of the war between Russia and Ukraine is affecting the entire world in, in, in concern of surplus of food. Much of the food that, that the world receives comes to the world through Ukraine and Russia, and that's kind of been put on hold. Many of the experts say it won't hit the United States as hard, but it's going to hit a lot of poor countries. And, and what we should be doing then is taking that yoke, that, that yoke that Jesus said, take upon you, put it on, and let Jesus walk with you. Let him give you peace. Pray for the nations that will be hit hardest. Pray for the nations that are at war. Pray that Jesus would put an end to this. Pray for his soon return, because when his soon return comes, uh, all, all of this will be resolved. But until then, we must work. 
right? We must work with Jesus. We must plow ahead. We must be an influence in the world. And it is when we're doing this work with Jesus that our heart receives rest. When we're doing this work with Jesus. When we allow Jesus to speak to us, uh, to our neighbor, to a friend, to somebody you meet at the store, we find rest when we say words that Jesus puts in our heart and in our mind to speak. Actions that Jesus would do, we do, we receive rest because he's with us. He's working with us. And he says, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, but more importantly, learn of me. We're walking with the Lord and learning of him. Well, the greatest thing I've learned is in John 14, peace I live with, leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, I give unto you. Let not, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So fear has no place in the Christian's heart if the Christian's heart is consumed with the presence of Jesus Christ. There's no room for fear. Because he is the prince of peace, not the prince of fear. Who's the prince of fear? It's Satan, the prince of torment, the prince of worry, the prince of, of lies. That's Satan. Jesus is just the opposite, and he comes to give us just the opposite. So do not be consumed with the affairs of the world. Be consumed with the will of God. For everything that is happening, is it, God knows it's going to happen. God knows what's going on. He's got a final plan in the end. So what are we to worry about? Nothing. God's got it under control. Last time I heard, he's still on the throne. And he will see it through. Uh, verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But to the world which they heard did not profit them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith and those who heard it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The gospel means good news. And what the writer here is saying that the good news that God spoke to the nation of Israel to entering his rest, they had good news from God. But they didn't enter into God's rest because they lacked patience, because they were unfaithful. Uh, you know, Pastor Nelly was saying that a lack of patience is a lack of faith in God. Absolutely correct, 100%. When we don't have patience, it's a lack of faith in God. Why? Because we're trying to take matters into our, our own hands and not trusting God to see things through to the end. So the gospel, the good news, was preached to Israel, but Israel didn't benefit. They didn't go, in, the first generation did not go into the promised land. Why? A lack of faith, a lack of patience. They didn't wait on God. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. That's why uh, they didn't enter into God's rest. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. When Israel wandered in the desert and did not enter into the promised land, it was because they did not have faith in God demonstrated by their disobedience. We've all read um, the beginning of the Old Testament, what happened with the Exodus, right? They, they rebelled in a terrible way before God. And because of this rebellion, because of this disobedience, they didn't enter into God's rest. Verse 3, For we have believed... For we who have believed do enter the, that rest. 
as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For we have believed, for we who have believed do enter into that rest. This is in contrast with the nation of Israel, which failed in their faith because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we do enter into rest. And more importantly, it's not anything that any one of us has done. The reason why we have rest, why we have peace, is because uh, Jesus going to the cross for his love for us. The work was done, but now Jesus invites us to enter into his work as he works with us. So I swore in my wrath that I shall not enter into my rest. The writer is quoting Psalm 95. The rest being entered into is the same rest God rested on the seventh day of creation when his work was completed. So Jesus promises us peace and rest if we labor with him. But God promises a second rest, which the writer is, is going to talk about. And I, I, I had to really labor in this uh, chapter because there's so much hidden if we don't open our eyes to the word of God. What is that rest that God promised? It is a rest that we find in eternity in a new body with Christ. That's the final rest. And when God stopped working, we too will come to a place where our work will be finished and we will enter into that rest with God. God rested on the seventh day because his work was complete and it was good. When our work is complete and it is well done because Jesus came alongside of us and helped us in the work, then we also will rest just like God did because what we did was good because it is in Christ. Verse 4 reads, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This is found in Genesis 2.2. So when God finally rested after all of creation, uh, after the sixth day, he rested on the seventh. The writer says in a certain place, because... Genesis 2, 2, in those days they had scrolls, but it wasn't broken down into chapters and verses. So the writer is basically saying somewhere back in Genesis, in this place it says that God rested on the seventh day because he doesn't have a chapter and verse to quote. So that's why he's speaking in this, this manner. That they shall not enter my rest can be found in Psalm 95. Verse 6 since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, the nation of Israel did not enter God's rest because of disobedience. But some must enter it. In other words, those who accept Jesus Christ will enter into this final rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. It's interesting. Joshua did. If Joshua had given them rest, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that entered into the promised land. 
But if Joshua had given them this rest that was spoken of by God, it wouldn't have been spoken again about it happening, a God offering this again. There is a there is a rest on this earth as we work with Jesus, as we work with God, but there is a rest when the work is done. Joshua, we know that Jesus' true name is Joshua. The, the first Joshua brought them into the promised land and perhaps gave them the new generation rest in the land, but they still, they still had to fight, right? They were still going against other nations. They were still trying to eliminate the giants in the land, God had a work for them. So they did not have the complete rest. If Joshua had given them rest, so they had not entered the complete rest, that rest in God in a heavenly place. Verse 8 tells us there's another day coming when Jesus, the Son of God, would give them rest. So the rest being spoken about is a rest that we will experience in heavenly places with the Lord. Nine, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That's us. Thank God that Jesus will give us rest, final rest. For he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. So what's this saying? After we have completed our work, our assignment, See, God knows the beginning from the end, and all of us have some sort of assignment, some sort of purpose in this life. We're not here by chance nor by accident. God does not do things by accident. We all have an assignment, whether it's to reach one, two, many, however many God has assigned for you uh, to be an impact in the world, for you to be Christ in the world, light that people may see Jesus in you. And say, for that person to be that way, there must be something that I don't get because I don't have it. For him to have that peace, that serenity, I, how can I get this? That's our work. That's our work in this place. And verse 9 is telling us when we complete this work, we will enter into a final rest. Verse uh, Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Least any, anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So we need to be careful when we hear uh, the Holy Spirit speak to us. When we hear the Lord speak to us, respond to him. Because tomorrow is not promised. If someone goes... Uh, not responding to Jesus' call, to Jesus' request to accept him. And tomorrow they fall and they live no more. They have missed the opportunity for eternal rest. May he lay in rest. You ever heard this term? May he lay in rest. Because after we're done in this planet, after we're done working for the Lord, we go on to a complete rest in the Lord. But we must be diligent and help those who, who, who are possibly hearing that call but not responding to it, help them to understand it and to accept it and to realize what it means that they might have eternal rest. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and it is 
is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Heart. The word of God is living and powerful. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 reads, All scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Just our very reading of the word is a work within us. If I were to say not one word up here except for the word of God, what the Holy Scriptures is, are saying to us is that word will not return void. It will have an effect. Why? Because it is words that were spoken by God through the Holy Spirit to a human being who recorded it. So it's the very words of God, which is what makes it powerful. Without this power of God, uh, we can do nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. My words in of themselves have no power, but my words uh, with the words of God has tremendous power because it is his words that, that is life that can change the heart. So God's word is living and powerful. I can sometimes read scriptures and read verses and for given unknown reasons to myself will just begin to tear up because God is speaking to my heart. And, he's, and the word of God is having an effect on my heart. Truly reading the word of God is important and we ought to do, do it more often than not. It's more important than even physical food, right? It is spiritual food it's so important for us to be consuming it on a daily basis. Sharper than any two-edged sword, Charles Spurgeon writes, a sword with two edges has no blunt side. It cuts either way it goes. The revelation of God given us in the Holy Scripture is edge all over. Anywhere the Spirit goes, it, it, it can do a work. It can it can discern. It is alive in, it in every part, and in every part keen to cut the conscience, to wound, wound the heart, and to change us. Is there not a superfluous verse in the Bible, not a chapter which is useless? Charles Spurgeon. The word of God is powerful. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows our innermost thoughts, but more importantly, he knows the intent of our hearts. We may think that we can fool people. We may think that we can fool ourselves, but ultimately the bottom line is no one can fool God. God sees all the time in all places, everywhere. Not only does he see your actions, but he sees your thoughts and also the intent of your heart. When I do something, why am I doing it? Am I doing it to get bragging rights or am I doing it to glorify God? Am I doing something to lift someone up or am I doing something to make myself feel better? Jesus was always a humble servant and always did things to lift people up. 
He was selfless, never really thought of himself. The only thing he thought of is what the Father does, I do. What the Father says, I say. And that should be our mantra. That should be what is resonating in our mind. What Jesus does, I do. And what Jesus says, I say. Why? Because he lives in me. When you put on that yoke, let him work with you, but also let him live through you. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of of need. While high priests serve God in a temple representing heaven, do you know that the temple in Jerusalem doesn't exist now? It said there will be at some point a third temple, but the temple that was in Jerusalem was a representation of what heaven is like. The angels at each side of the throne room of God it is a representation. You know, if God's throne in heaven is just like the throne room uh, here on, uh, in Israel. It's a representation. And the, the priest was doing a work to God in a, in a place that represented heaven where God was. But Jesus, being our high priest, is not doing a work for us in a place that represents heaven. He's in heaven representing us to the Father. He's doing a work before God on our behalf. But more importantly, he's a high priest who understands us, who understands sin, temptation, because he went through it as a human being. Jesus is both divine and human and has experienced what life as a human is, and therefore he understands us. We can go boldly to God's throne to the throne of God, and there receive mercy and grace when we have need of it. What an honor. You, we can go uh, in making our requests known to the Lord. He makes it known to the Father in heavenly places. So when we ask Jesus to help or to forgive us or to forgive somebody who's offended us, I'm reminded of Job. Job prayed for those who were talking. Remember um, uh, uh, Le, Pastor Les. Les shared that Job prayed for those who spoke ill of him, spoke wrong of him, and honored that. Now, when we pray for others, it's said in Scripture that that covers a multitude of sins when we pray for others. So when we go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness for ourselves or forgiveness to those who have offended us, Jesus is before God and in heaven, before the throne of God, um, making our requests known to God on our behalf. That's the type of high priest we have. Not one on the earth in a place that represents heaven, but one in heaven that is heaven. And therefore, we have the boldness to be able to go before God, 
a holy God and ask for forgiveness. A holy God and ask him to change us. A holy God and ask him to forgive others. And with that, I'll close. Can we all stand? We will have um, one more song, and then um, I'll go ahead and close for now, and then we'll let praise and worship team close this. Father, I thank you for this, uh, this divine word of God that we read in Hebrews chapter 4. I pray that most importantly that we would all take that yoke upon us and walk with you, Lord. Uh, finish our work that you have assigned for us. And more importantly, look forward to the day that we will one day enter into the rest that you promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.